Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, open up to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 13 and we're going to finish out the book down into verse 21. And a couple things I want to say before we get started there. Uh, the first thing is this. I want to issue a challenge to you all uh, for the, the summer and on into the early fall. And um, it's uh, normally in the summer we have to challenge folks sometimes to come to church. But y'all are coming to church, showing up for church. Sometimes you got to challenge people to give. Y'all are giving. Here's what I'm going to challenge you to do, just to step it up one notch. When we don't have the organ, I want to encourage you to sing louder. Now listen, I can't carry a tune in a bucket. And I understand if you can't sing either, some of y'all can't sing either. I understand if you can't how uncomfortable that's going to make you feel because the organ lets you cheat a little bit you can kind of hide your voice in the organs but listen right now the only organ pipes we have are y'all and we need you to sing so i want to encourage everyone to challenge everyone there's nothing i think that makes a church more special than the robustness of its congregational singing it's the most important instrument that the lord gave his church for congregational worship is the voice. And so sometimes we've got such a magnificent choir, we lean on them a little bit. We've got such a magnificent organ, we lean on it a little bit. We're all going to sing a little bit louder. I'm going to lead the charge. So if you hear something that sounds awful uh, in a few weeks when I'm back here at church, you'll know it's me singing loud. All right, second thing. Y'all are doing a great job, but we're going to sing a little louder. All right, here's the other thing. I won't be here next Sunday or the next, so I'll be gone on vacation for the next two Sundays, but you're in for a treat. We're going to have Woody Turner, our associate pastor, preach next Sunday. And then the Sunday after that, Cole Jordan, our minister of students, will be preaching. And so they both do a phenomenal job in the pulpit. We've got a deep bench here at First Baptist Church. And so I know you'll be here to hear them preach. I'm excited to hear them preach. Pray for us um, as we travel. But then when we get back, we're done with First John. Uh, later in the fall, we're going to kick off a sermon series. We're going to finish out the Samuel narrative. We finished First Samuel earlier this year. We're going to Go into 2 Samuel later this year, but between then, when I get back for five weeks, five Sundays, we're going to uh, be in a sermon series called Grace Habits. Grace Habits. It's going to be a sermon series on walking with the Lord Jesus Christ. Some habits we can develop to, to walk closer with Jesus. So I hope that that will be a blessing to you. So that'll be five weeks, uh, beginning on the first Sunday in August. I look forward to being back with you then. But until then, I uh, look forward to hearing great sermons from Woody and call. Well, if you have your Bibles open to 1 John chapter 5, beginning verse 13, just go ahead and stand with me out of reverence for the re reading of the words of our God. John writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God Himself is speaking to us. Beginning in verse 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have requests that we have asked of Him. We have the requests that we have asked of Him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. 
All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. And we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. That he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Let's pray together. God, we thank You so much for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank You for the hope that we have in that gospel. And God, we ask if you would, please open our hearts and minds today to receive your word and to be changed by it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. may be seated. Many of you, I'm sure, and definitely my family, have heard me say something like this multiple times. Uh, People will say, Brother Matt, is this the case? Did Did you know if this is true? Oftentimes it's even with something as simple as, someone who's going through health issues, they're in the hospital, and and so often the way I answer is this, it is my understanding that that is the case. Because what I want to be careful of is that people don't go off and say, well, the preacher said it was true. I want to make sure it's really clear. I think I know what I'm talking about here, but you need to understand that's my understanding. (laughs) That's That's how I understand it as of right now. I say it a lot, and it's something I've been working with my kids on learning to say. Sometimes my kids will come in the room and they'll trot out a sentence that is brimming with self-assurance. I mean, they are so confident that it's the case. They are totally devoid of doubt in what they're saying. But as the sentence comes out of their mouth, I'm not so convinced. I'm not 100% sure this is the truth. And so what do I say to them? I'll say something like, are you 100% sure of that? Do you know this for sure? And then I begin to get down to the bottom of it. Well, so-and-so said it was the case. Okay. Do you see how that is different than what you said? <laughs> Do you see how those are two different thoughts? Hey, this is true, and somebody told me it was true. Those are two different things. Do you see how that's different? Maybe, I will tell them, you could say something like, I recently heard this. Do you think that's true? Or, I'll tell them, maybe you could say, it's my understanding that such and such is the case. Now, why, why is it I go through this with my children? What is it I, why is it I put them through that process? For one, um, we live in a world where truth is sort of uh, tenuous at best. Oftentimes, people struggle with knowing what's actually true. And so, I think learning to speak with precision is really important. Doesn't it sound like they have a very joyful childhood, uh, really enjoying their lives as they grow up? No, but I think that's really important. You know, hey, we're, I don't know. We're, we can't maybe change the world, but we're going to start saying what we mean here. You know, we're going to make sure we're uh, communicating accurately. But second of all, I, I go through these uh, labors with them. And try to help them see this and think through this. Why? Because part of what it means to grow in wisdom and part of what it means to learn to be wise is to know what you don't know. It's to know what you don't know. I I don't know if you've recognized this phenomenon, but oftentimes the more expert someone becomes in a subject, maybe the most important byproduct of their expertise is the recognition and realization of what they don't know. 
There is a temptation to sometimes, though, think that you, if you're an expertise in one area, it makes you an expert in every area. I've come to learn that it's usually the people who are experts in no areas who think that they're experts in every area. The reality is, though, knowing what we don't know is very important. But not nearly as important, of course, as knowing what you know. Being sure of the knowledge that you have. Confidence in what you know matters greatly. And it's especially so. It's multiplied in countless ways when it comes to our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, our knowledge of the gospel. And as he closes out his letter, the Apostle John brings our focus to what we know. I just read nine verses to you this morning, and seven times in those nine verses, the Apostle John uses the word know. He, he finds it important for us to think through what we know. Uh, This morning, I want to show you three points from this text about what you ought to know as a Christian. Three truths concerning the confidence that you can have in what you know about God. I I want to make sure that all of us don't have to have a, a simple, tenuous grasp on what we know, but I want you to see some things that as a Christian you can have confidence in, that you can be bold in, and that God wants you to be bold in. We have to be so careful as Christians, not to allow all of our exclamation points to turn into question mark. All the things we should be most excited about, about the gospel. There's so much doubt that's cast on these things. We want to be confident in what we know about God. Three truths to help us along those lines this morning. Here's the first. I want you to know your prayers are heard. Know your prayers are heard. This is really important when it comes to the fact that we're able to call God Father. We're able to have a personal relationship with God through our Lord Jesus Christ and through the indwelling of His Holy Spirit. It's important for us to know our prayers are heard. This is something Christians struggle with. And it's something that Christians who struggle with it feel alone in. But I want you all to know, if you struggle with feeling like your prayers are heard, you are not alone in that struggle. I regularly talk to believers who say things like, sometimes I feel like my prayers aren't getting past the ceiling. You ever felt that way? You ever wondered if God's really listening, if God really hears? Well, John wants to make sure you know your prayers are heard. Look with me in verse 13. I write these things to you, John says, who believe in the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal Life. Now, we've talked a lot throughout this series about assurance of salvation. And John is reminding us he wrote ultimately so that you can be sure. Some false teachers had come among his original hearers, so it seems, and had thrown a lot of people off, made them wonder whether or not they're truly believers, had they really believed the right thing. John says, I write so that you might know you have eternal life. Now, some of us, though, recognize and, and, and realize that it can feel sort of far off and distant. We can feel way out there. I mean, we want to know we have eternal life. Well, when will we know for sure, without a shadow of a doubt, that we have eternal life? Well, it's when our eternal life begins, is it not? That's when we'll know with it beyond a shadow of a doubt. There's a little bit of a question left up until that moment. It's the things we have to work through, things we have to think through. I don't know about y'all, but I'm in no hurry to find out. 
I'm not in any rush to begin eternal life. I don't know about y'all. That would mean dying, just so that's clear. And uh, I, I don't have an interest in discovering that, for example, today. I think I'll keep going as long as the Lord will let me. And so how then can we have this kind of sureness, this kind of knowledge? How can we know? It can feel far off and distant. It can feel almost impossible to test. So what do we do today? Today we pray. That's what we do today. Today we pray. I want to encourage you, if you're struggling with assurance of salvation, not only should you go back and read through 1 John and think through these things, I would love to talk to you about growing in your assurance if you're struggling with that. But if you just need something to do this afternoon, start praying. So start praying. Notice how the the text goes from verse 13. Notice what John tells us in verse 14. This is the confidence. And this is the confidence that we have toward Him. Okay? In other words, He's writing so that you may know that you have eternal life in the name of the Son of God because you believe in Him, because you have faith in Him. And this is the confidence we have. It's not all out there in the future. We're not going to have to wait on the judgment day for it. The confidence we have today is this, John tells us. This is the confidence that we have toward Him that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. When she was really little, we were praying with Watsi, our daughter, and she said, Dear God, please do everything I ask. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> now notice what the Bible doesn't say. It doesn't say God will do everything you ask. It says He will hear everything you ask. And there are some things you've asked for that In God's great mercy, He did not give you. Sometimes you ask for something and God knows what you're actually desiring. You ever thought about that? Sometimes you think you know what you want better than you actually do, do you not? But God knows perfectly. He knows exactly what it is that's in your heart. In a few moments, John's going to encourage his hearers to keep themselves from idols. So often, there are realities in our heart that we desire that only God can meet. And what we're really doing is trying to replace God with an idol. And so if we pray for those things, God rightfully doesn't answer our prayers. But He does hear. And I want to tell you something about the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you something about God the Father. I'm going to tell you about the Holy Spirit. They know how to sort out your prayers. They know how to do it. So often I think we hear sermons like this, we read verses like this, and it almost makes us reluctant to pray. You know, it's like the envelope makes it to heaven. Everybody opens the envelope and God says, it's another one from Alexander. Get over here, guys. You're not going to believe what he's praying about this time. He's like, how, how long is it going to take him to know that he's never going to hit a 350-yard drive? I just don't understand what his deal is. That's Chris Alexander, not Matt Alexander. Anyway, so all that being said, uh, all that being said, you think God is shaming us with our prayers? No. No, the best way to learn to pray is to pray. Uh, the best way to begin the process of praying in a more healthy way is to pray. God hears our prayers, and so much of what God does in the process of praying is bend our hearts toward His will. Let your faith 
in who Jesus is and the hope you have in the future drive your prayer life today. When you feel sort of suspended in midair, when you feel doubts, when you feel struggles, let that drive you to your knees. If we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Notice what He says in verse 15. He goes on. And we know that He hears us in whatever we ask. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of Him. There is nothing you need in this world that your Father won't give you. There is nothing, there is no good gift which your Father will withhold from you. There is nothing that God is going to keep from you that you need. Sometimes you might ask for the wrong thing, but God knows what it is you really need, and He will withhold no good things from you. Sometimes we'll be at home, and I'll have hatched a little bit of a plan that I think is going to make everybody happy in the household. We're going to go get dessert. Sometimes we'll pile in the car and go down to Yogurt Mountain. We're pretty outdoorsy. We like to get out on the mountain every now and again. Yogurt Mountain. And uh, <laughs> I'll have hatched this plan. And so a child or another a kid or two will come up to me and say, Dad, can I have an Oreo? Or, you know, can I have a cookie or can I have this or whatever? And I'll say, sure, if that's what you want. And that's when they're kind of on their way to the kitchen and they stop. What do you mean by that? I said, I mean, like, if that's really what you want, I say, go ahead and have it. And they said, what are you trying to say? I said, well, I mean, I had some other plans. But if that's what you want, we'll just do what I wanted to do. They're like, tell me what you want to do. What are we doing? Come on, tell me. Going to Yogurt Mountain. And everybody rejoices, and we go to Yogurt Mountain and enjoy it. Trust that your Father knows best. Trust that your Father has a good plan. Trust that your Father means good for you, but never hesitate to ask. Never hesitate to bring what's on your heart before God. If you want to know and have confidence, go to God in prayer. And I believe that by His Holy Spirit, as you bring your requests to Him over time, He will show you the way He answers prayer. And over time, I think by His Holy Spirit, He will reassure your heart that you belong to Him. Prayer is a means by which we grow in confidence and knowing that we really, truly belong to Jesus. Go to God in prayer. It delights your Father. It delights God to hear your requests. Second of all, not only should you know your prayers are heard, but second of all, I believe God wants you to know your sins are forgiven. I believe God wants you to know your sins are forgiven. Now, do you ever struggle with this? There's a word for this. Not knowing your sins are forgiven is a word called guilt. Sometimes it manifests itself as shame in the life of the believer. Now, if you don't know Jesus, the reality is all of us in our natural state, apart from Christ, are guilty before God. All of us ought to be ashamed of our sin. But if the gospel, what the gospel says is true, we're no longer guilty before God, and we no longer have to live with our own shame because Jesus Christ bore the penalty for our sins in his body on the tree, the Bible says. So I want you to consider for a moment then what it means to know your sins are forgiven. It's a hard way to live when you don't truly know 
your sins are forgiven. So many of us are walking around with a burden of guilt and shame despite the fact that Jesus paid it all. But notice what John begins to tell us here, starting in verse 16. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death. And there is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. Now, there are all sorts of theologies that have sprung up around these verses. I think we have to be really careful with those. There's this concept of mortal versus venial sins, things like that. We start to have a gradation in sin that I think we need to be really careful with. John, in a moment, makes it very clear. All wrongdoing is sin. Know there in verse 17. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We want to be careful not to try to create these separate categories where we start to place things. Well, that's in the sin that leads to death bucket, and that's in the sin that doesn't lead to death bucket. In fact, I think so often we spend so much time trying to figure out what these verses aren't saying that we miss what they are saying. And and what I think they are saying, I think why John is writing this at this moment in this letter is for you to know your sins can be or that your sins are forgiven. Sin that leads to death in the context of 1 John seems to me to be talking about apostasy, an abandonment of the faith. Someone who has, in a permanent way, at least from human perspective, or if the truth is told by the end, we see evidence over time before they ever, by the time they die, that they never started again. They've abandoned the truth of the gospel. They've abandoned loving their neighbor, and they've abandoned Christian holiness. It's an abandonment. It's a apostasy what john is saying is that those who clearly demonstrate that they were never in the faith require a different strategy of prayer people who leave the faith we pray for them differently than our brothers and sisters who are just sinning a sin that leads to death is this sin that sort of eventually demonstrates that this person was never in the faith it's the leaving they went out from us because they were not of us john said earlier in the letter he's referring back here i believe to that category it's my understanding that that's what john is saying here but i want you to take just a moment though and consider what he is emphasizing those that heard him needed to hear this because they needed to know that their brothers and sisters they see sinning are not in being lumped into these false teachers who John has clearly demonstrating is leaving the, are leaving the faith. Those people need to ha- be prayed for that they would be saved. They would repent of their sins and turn to Jesus ultimately for the first time. But those who are committing a sin that does not lead to death, those who are not apostate but are lying or doing whatever it is, stealing, whatever it is they might be doing, if you see them doing that, what does John say we do? We take them before the Lord, we pray for them, and we ask, and God will give him life. That is, those people, if they are in Christ, through the fellowship of other believers and through their prayers, I think the Scripture teaches, can be brought back, can be restored to a full fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ and with His church. Your sins, he's saying, are forgiven. John is primarily saying that God forgives or has forgiven the sins of his children. Those who are committing sin, God will give him life. I want to I press upon you the need we all have to pray for one another's sins. To pray for one another's sins. Now listen, we pray, we do a lot of praying for one another's bodies, don't we? 
We do, and that's a good thing. So-and-so's having surgery, so-and-so's uh, down in their leg, so-and-so's got a back problem, so-and-so's got this, so-and-so's got that. We need to pray for them. We, we pray for one another's lives, our livelihoods, just the circumstances of life. So-and-so's traveling, we better pray for them. So-and-so lost their job, we need to pray for them. So-and-so's in this circumstance or that circumstance, we need to pray for them. But I'll, I'll tell you, I don't know how often we pray for one another's sins. I don't know how often we pray for one another's sins. Be open to it. But first of all, if we're going to pray for one another's sins, we have to do it without judgment. We can't be judgmental. Now, that's not to say that when anyone brings you their sins, you say, well, that's not a big deal. Let's just pray about it and it's all over. No, I mean, we need to take sin seriously. But what I mean to say is we have to be willing to talk to people about their sin without blushing and without freaking out. Are you kidding me right now? Really? I mean, that's what you... No, we have to treat sin like, like it is what it is. So without judgment, and with, second of all, we have to pray for one another's sins with gracious accountability. We have to be gracious toward one another, but provide some accountability. Say, how, how are you doing with the sin? How are things going? We have to do it, third of all, with sincere privacy. If praying for one another's sins becomes an opportunity, an avenue, and a vehicle for gossip, for gossip it will shut down whatever opportunity we have to love and care for one another in the Lord's church. If you'll hold it with sincere privacy and pray for people authentically, you can't believe the way God will restore. I've seen it so many times, brothers and sisters. I've seen it so many times where people devotedly prayed for someone in a sin situation and the Lord restored them to full fellowship. Finally, we have to do it with genuine faith in the gospel, believing that people can change and believing that the gospel speaks to every sin. And all of these things, if you are going to find yourself victorious over sin, you need to be willing to put yourself in the hands of others, believing that the worst thing that could be said about you has already be, been said at the cross, and that it's okay to share your sins with others. My, my friends, I think it's so important for us to know our sins are forgiven. And one of the clearest ways we can do that in the church is by praying for one another's sins, asking God to bring that forgiveness. You, you can't believe how badly. You hear the gospel preached from the pulpit every Sunday. Some of you right now might need to hear the gospel preached from a friend telling you your sins are forgiven, and that might be just what you need to move on from the sin that so easily has entangled you. Know your prayers are heard. Know your sins are forgiven. And finally, know that your faith is in Christ. Know that your faith is in Christ. We know, verse 18, that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We believe we can move on from our sins. We believe that God will deliver us from our sins. And then John continues on in verse 19. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of of the evil one. Now listen, I work at a church. It makes life a little bit easier when you work at a church. I come to work every day with Christians. Believe it or not, I work for a Christian organization. It's a good thing, don't you agree? I, I like to think that the culture of where I come to work every day is shaped by the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think it is. Every day we come in and we have Christian values that are shared. We have Christian principles that are shared. I'm expected to act like a Christian at work. That's not true of everybody in this room today. 
Uh, For some of you, going to work and acting like a Christian is a liability in the world's eyes, in your boss's eyes, in others' eyes. For some of you, going to work as a Christian is difficult. We are in enemy territory. It's difficult to live in this world. And as a pastor, sometimes I fear that I miss out on how difficult it can be for y'all to live in this world. So don't hear me for a moment ignoring the fact that you live in difficult times. We live in a difficult world. In fact, John says we know that we're from God, but we also know that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. It's enemy territory. It's a difficult place to live. But what do we know? We know we are from God. What else does John tell us we know? We know that the Son of God has come. We know that He has given us understanding. It's another, it's really you could say eight times he's talked about knowledge because understanding is another word for knowledge. What else does John tell us? This is, we know Him who is true. He tells us we are in Him who is true through His Son, Jesus Christ. And what else does he tell us? He says, He is the true God and eternal life. My friends, when you find your faith faltering, remember what you know. You know that your faith is in Jesus. Remember when the world around you seems crazy. Remember whose you are. Remember who you know. You belong to Jesus. When you find yourself disoriented or disappointed with evangelicalism or the SBC or whatever group or the church in America or whoever it is you feel like you might be losing faith in in the moment. Remember this, your faith is in Jesus. When the person who discipled you or led you to Jesus or maybe, God forbid, the person who raised you is no longer walking with Christ like they should be, I want you to remember this when you feel disoriented, your faith is in Jesus. If you hear me say something, you hear me doing something. You say, man, I just don't know. It's disappointing. Your faith is not in me. Your faith is not in First Baptist Church. Your faith is in Jesus. When all else fails, trust Jesus. When all else seems like it's in shambles, Remember Jesus. If your life is falling apart, if you cannot tell the truth from a lie, if the world seems upside down, don't forget that you know Him who is true. He is the true God and eternal life. Don't you dare forget Jesus Christ. He loves you. He bought you. He purchased you. Here at the end, Verse 21, John closes his entire letter with a single phrase. Little children. I love that. I love being called that by the Apostle John. There's such a sweetness to it. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. As we close this sermon, as we close this series, it's the exhortation I leave you with as well. When you're tempted not to pray, aren't you depending on your own strength instead of God's. Keep yourself from the idolatry of self and know that your prayers are heard by God. You're not in this alone. God's with you. When you're tempted toward forgetting the forgiveness of your sins, aren't you depending ultimately, you may not say this, you may not articulate this, but deep down inside, wouldn't you perhaps recognize that you might be depending on your own righteousness instead of Christ's? 
Keep yourself from the idolatry of self-righteousness and know that your sins are forgiven only by the grace of God through the gospel of Jesus. And is it not just so easy to trust what we can see, what we can touch, only what we can feel, to trust only that which is tangible, that which we can lean on, that what that we can get our arms around. Isn't it so tempting to trust anything but Christ? But brothers and sisters, I hope you're building your house on the foundation that stands, the foundation that lasts. All those other things are foundations built on sand. And when the great storms come, when the great waters come, all that we've built will be washed away unless we trust Jesus and His gospel alone. He alone is the way and the truth and the life, and it is only through Him that we know the true God. He Himself is holiness personified. It's only through Him that we can become holy. He Himself is perfect love. It is only through Him that we can truly love our neighbor. Brothers and sisters, I press upon you today this reality. Keep yourself from the idolatry of trusting in idols rather than trusting in Jesus. Don't forget what you know. Don't forget who you know. He is the true God and eternal life. Lord, to whom else will we go? Little children, keep yourselves from idols. I want to offer an invitation this morning. If you've never put your trust and faith in Jesus for the first time, I'll be here waiting on you this morning. If you want someone to talk with you, to pray with you, I'll be waiting for you right down front. I look forward when you come down to leading you to Jesus if that's what you desire. But you don't need me right where you are. If you will turn from your sins and repentance and turn to God in faith through Jesus, I believe you will be saved. Do it right where you are. You come talk to me or you can come to this altar if you'd like to. Second of all, you may be a believer and you may say, Pastor, I I need to think through what I know and I need some help growing in confidence in what I know, would you pray for me? I'll be here waiting on you. Or you can use the Psalter, or you can do business with the Lord right where you are. And finally, what a joy it would be for me today to talk to you about what it means to be a member here at First Baptist Church. After this prayer, I want to invite you to come. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, our God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his gospel. And God, I ask you even now, would you guard our hearts and protect us? Help us to see the glory and grandeur of the gospel in order that we might keep ourselves from idols. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.